good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, all that program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I just don't understand. Now, it doesn't have to be soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a bit. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter-and-verse theological discussion, a casual front-porch-style talk with a pastor's best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. And you can send those questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's area code 314-821-0850, or anywhere in North America, toll free at 800-730-2727. Pastor Swirla, welcome aboard. Welcome to the porch. Whoops, I oh, I opened the wrong pot. Oh, my gosh. Uh, How many Lutherans does it take to operate a control board? Huh? Uh, three. Well, <laughs> it takes a committee and a vote, majority. Oh, that's true. I heard one the other day. You know, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Yeah. None. Lutherans don't change. Oh, we don't change. Yes, that's, yeah, okay. right. that's right. We 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 like the old light bulb just the way it was. That's right. <laughs> and that brings to mind our topic for discussion today. That is, have you ever noticed how sometimes people, non-Lutherans, and even some Lutherans, will sometimes say, oh, you Lutherans, you're just like blah. Well, you know, it occurs to me that there are an awful lot of stereotypes out there about us. Have you noticed that, Bill? You, you think <laughs> if 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 they if they know about us if they know about it i was thinking about media lutherans and media mm-hmm. and and how often how often does lutheran come up i mean it comes up as a passing reference in in uh, grand torino the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, everybody always blames the Lutherans. I remember that. Yeah, and 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 they're always laughing now. Now I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the other tribe of Lutherans because it was involved. There was an involvement with with uh, Hmong, uh, Cambodian yeah. uh, refugees. Oh, uh, I wish I if, Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think that that was our our group that did that. I I may be wrong on that, but no. but anyway, but but that was the basis behind the Clint Eastwood line yeah. in Gran Torino. Uh, there was that there was a Woody Harrelson line in Cheers. Oh, because, I remember that. I, I think the Woody Harrelson character was LCMS Lutheran, and 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 the remark is something to the effect of that. His sister, who was LCMS, married uh, somebody who was Wisconsin Synod, and the family considered it a mixed marriage. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you know, there, there were some Lutherans who actually regarded that with the same gasp as they would have them marrying a Catholic. I should talk. My yeah. wife's Catholic, you understand. So but that was, that was kind of an inside baseball comment. So you knew that <laughs> yeah. somebody, knew, somebody knew something about something. Uh, <laughs> And, and that, and then of course, there's the famous, the very famous and ongoing uh, uh, news from Lake Wobegon oh. and Garrison Keeler. Well, I just happened to have, since you brought up the topic, a, a very brief article here that written by Garrison Keeler called "Singing with Lutherans." <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm going to read a portion of it here. Please feel free to interrupt at any time. 
But uh, he makes some very interesting observations. Some true, some not so true, some more true than perhaps we would like to admit. So here we go. Quoting from Garrison Keillor. I have made fun of Lutherans for years. Now, who wouldn't if you lived in Minnesota? But I've also sung with Lutherans, and that's one of the main joys of life, along with hot baths and fresh sweet corn. We make fun of Lutherans for their blandness, their excessive calm, their fear of giving offense, their lack of speed, and also for their secret fondness for macaroni and cheese. But nobody sings like they do. If you ask an audience in New York City, a relatively Lutheranless place, to sing along with a chorus of Michael Row the Boat Ashore, they'll look daggers at you as if you'd ask them to strip to your underwear. But ask this <laughs> among Lutherans. And they'll smile and row that boat ashore and up on down the beach and down the road. <laughs> Lutherans are bred from childhood to sing in four-part harmony. It's a talent that comes from sitting on the lap of someone singing alto or tenor or bass and, and hearing that harmonic interval by putting your little hand up against that person's ribcage. It's natural for Lutherans to sing in harmony. We're too modest to be soloists, too worldly to sing in unison. And when you're singing in the key of C and you slide into the A7 and the D7 chords, all 200 of you are, it's an emotionally fulfilling moment. <laughs> I once sang bass line of Children for the Heavenly Father in a room full of 3,000 Lutherans. And when we finished, we all had tears in our eyes, partly from the promise that God will not forsake us, and partly from the proximity of those lovely voices. By joining in harmony, we somehow promise ourselves that we will not forsake each other. I nice. do believe this. These Lutherans are the sort of people you can call up when you're in deep distress. If you're dying, they'll comfort you. If you're lonely, they'll talk to you. If you're hungry, they'll give you tuna salad. <laughs> I won't even get into the part about Jello being in the in the proper liturgical color. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a lot to say there, and, and I think some of this is quite true. Um, Lutheran music. I mean, we are motivated by music. I know uh, my father, who is a Presbyterian attended Lutheran churches because he loved the Lutheran music. Uh, I know at the uh, recent uh, March to Life uh, in Washington, there was uh, a bystander who said, I knew you were Lutherans because I could hear you singing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't know who coined it, but somebody termed the Lutheran church the singing church. And uh, we, we do have a reputation, although that's slipping. Um, I, I think in, in our, our modern era, we're losing that. Uh, there, there was a time when Lutherans kind of owned uh, church music. You know, of course, we all think of J.S. Bach and the whole family. I mean, that family is a bunch of musicians. In fact, there, there was a point in time when uh, simply Bach was synonymous with musician. Mm -hmm. and that's the, uh, I think there were like 50 Bachs floating around. They're all musically brilliant. Um the 17th century, the, the century after the Reformation, uh, though politically was a disaster with the Thirty Years' War and all of the stuff that went with that, musically was just, you know, it was, it was I, I think, the high point of uh, liturgy and hymnody. This is where some of our most brilliant music comes from. And it's actually the music that, uh, that Bach then riffs on in the next century. He picks up on those themes and he takes them further in, in his own way. 
But um, you know, we we were we we were like the Italians to to painting. You know, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we owned the stuff, and uh, and I and we had a tremendous influence over um, not only Christendom but also also just in in the in the development of music in in just the the musical world in general and and i uh, the sadness today i i think is that we we seem to have lost a lot of that you know we're we're one of the things that i thought of when you were reading this is keeler is describing a phenomenon which i term singing all together mm. And that's what he describes as being a very moving moment. It's emotionally. I mean, even if you're just singing, Michael rode the boat ashore, whatever you know. It, but to sing all together is a is a communal activity. It's a, it's community building, and it involves actively listening to the people around you and blending your voice with them. That's why choir singing is is a very fulfilling uh, thing to do. Uh, and I've always enjoyed being in choirs. I, I, I like that activity a lot. I used to do that uh, a lot when I was a kid. I was in the, uh, I was in the uh, Lutheran, uh, church choir went, uh, back, oh gosh, I guess it was Concordia Lutheran here in St. Louis when I was a kid. Yeah. And, uh, anybody who has ever heard the National Lutheran Choir sing, if you're not brought to tears, you're dead. Oh, I have. I, I, I heard them last, last summer, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at a, there was a, uh, an LCMS sponsored, uh, conference on worship. And I was one of the keynote speakers oh. there. But, but one of the evening things was a, 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 a concert by the National Lutheran Choir. And it was quite good. It was, it was very, very, and they spanned, you know, 400 years of church music, and, and it was it was really remarkable. Very well done. Also, if you have never heard the St. Olaf Choir... Ah, I have. ...live, you know, being there is is a real experience, too. They, I think they represent kind of the 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 high point of the Lutheran um the Lutheran college choir, college level. Really, really good. Well one of our regular programs here at uh, KFUO is on Sunday, I believe at noon, when we actually have a program called Sing for Joy. Which oh, yeah, is, yeah. yeah, it's produced by the by St. Olaf College. Oh okay, sure. Um our uh, Concordia Irvine out here on the West Coast has a tremendous music program and getting better all the time, I might add. And uh and their choirs are always good. They they do a Christmas concert that I think they've upped it now to five performances. And I still can't get tickets for it. It sells out mm. that quickly. It's hugely popular. But um, but you know, there's this this idea of singing all together as a community of voices. And and I think what's happened today, sadly, is that we're now in what what you can see uh, just nationally too, like what with what happens with the national anthem it becomes a performance piece where somebody croons it and nobody can even sing along with it yeah well it's a difficult piece to be anyway to sing well yeah it's not a good piece of corporate singing to begin with but but then we've we've turned it in fact i noted the other night i was watching a hockey game Mm -hmm. and they had some kind of uh almost like a barbershop quartet singing the national anthem which was truly horrific but not as not as bad as (laughs) Not as bad as uh, what's her name, Fergie or whatever, who did the uh, oh, NBA. Oh, it was horrible, uh, absolutely horrible. You know, it was horrible, but I get what she was trying to do. I felt sorry for her, and and I think she responded to the criticism just beautifully. It's like, look, I took a risk, but it failed. She knows it failed. It's cool, you know. Yeah. But anyway, no, that's not the point. The point is, you can't sing along with it. You can't sing together. And we've become kind of a culture of singing along with in our churches too, and and that's you, you're going to lose. 
that thing that Garrison Keillor describes, that joy of singing together. But there was a time, there was a time when mm-hmm. we owned this. Well, you know, there's a uh, a musical troupe up uh, in Minnesota, I believe they're based, called the Looney Lutherans. I don't know if you've ever run into them. And these are uh, three ladies who, uh, they're actually a spinoff of a play that was called the uh, the Basement Church Ladies. <laughs> we all know who those are. If you're a Lutheran, you, de- you now, know. You know that Dana Carvey has Lutheran connections, too, and that his church lady, that, that bit that he did oh, on yeah. Saturday Night Live, was built upon... Oh, um, was built upon his his overhearing the church ladies in the parking lot. Uh, so so this this doesn't come out of nowhere. No. Yeah. Well, these are these are the, there's three of them are, uh, that that do these routines, and uh, their whole thing is uh, health through the Lutheran diet and thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, with. The hot dish and with the, the hot the, dish. The, oh yeah, and uh, they they're very talented musically. They do a lot of their own. Uh, they write most of their own material. And oh they, good. Yeah. Oh yeah. They ever and they, what are they called? The Looney Lutherans. The Looney Lutherans. They've got a number of videos up on Facebook. So just go up there and go to the Looney Lutherans, and they are hilarious. Uh, they come up with some wonderful lines. For example, uh, one of their songs that has the worst part about being a Lutheran is that we feel guilty when we're having any fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, and and I think that speaks to something in in Lutheran ethos. Uh, And and I think when we're talking Lutheran stereotypes or Lutheran, just the Lutheran ethos, the the way Keeler describes it, uh, that puts its finger on on a reality is that Lutheranism, especially Lutheranism in America, in North America, has a very strong pietist strand to it. And and it doesn't really matter what brand you are. They all have uh, their their version of Pietism. The Scandinavian the Scandinavians had you know Haugian Pietism. The Germans had several versions of Pietism. Uh, the LCMS inherited a, a a kind of a Pietism, not the later one that CFW Walther wrote against, but the earlier one which he liked. That is the Pietism of Arndt and Spener. And yeah, that has a very sensitive conscience, you know, and uh, yeah, you feel guilty just for having a good time. And that's our pietism showing through. If you don't get that, you don't get being Lutheran. There's, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I like to say that we have a scholastic head and a pietist heart. Ah. Uh, you know, we, we like to analyze, uh, you know, we have all the categories in full operation and we like to slice and dice it as thinly as possible when it comes to doctrine. But boy, when it comes to life, we revert to to this this heartfelt pietism that, that really was the post uh, the post scholastic period with Schweiner and Arndt. But that's in our wheelhouse too, and it's mm-hmm. it's in all Lutherans. I think it's just genetically in all Lutherans. Yeah, and yet you know you, you look at uh, Luther himself was was a fun loving guy in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, uh, he was an accomplished musician. He played the lute. Heaven knows how many songs he wrote. Uh, he uh, loved his beer. Being a brewer myself, I happen to appreciate that. And of course, well, he was, uh, Katrina he was German, was, of course. You know that 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 was beer is to a German as wine is to an Italian or a Frenchman. You know, I mean, it's just just it's just a it's a beverage. It's your daily beverage. Well, there's there's a family uh, legend, which is probably not true, but who knows? Um, one of my grandfathers was a Lutheran minister during Prohibition, and they happened to have operating a 
small illegal brewery in the basement of the church. No, and, don't tell me that's not true. Well, as I say, it's probably not true. But, you know, there's a fourth... <laughs> disclaimer, you know, disclaimer all over yeah. that one. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> kids yeah. But his argument was that, um, you know, the uh, his parishioners were going to get alcohol anyway, and better they get it for the Lutherans and the Catholics down the street who were doing wine in their basement. <laughs> wow, that, that, yeah. that's like the, that's the preschool argument. You know, well, we shouldn't be... We shouldn't be enabling this. They say, "Well, they're going to they're going to put their kids in a preschool anyway, so it may as well be a Lutheran preschool." So, <laughs> so this is taking it to you know what's next? Distilled spirits. Yeah, they're going to get their tequila from somewhere. They may as well get it from a Lutheran. You know. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, it may that's have a, worked. I, that's I a understand. Funny line of, that's an odd line of reasoning here. <laughs> well, I understand that the cops used to line up too because the local cops like their beer too, and they couldn't get it either. So, and that added a little bit of extra protection to the region. <laughs> so, well, and even the gangsters you, weren't about ready to interfere once, with the local churches. Once you, yeah, you can do a lot under the cover of local church. I'm not sure it's gospel, but you know, whatever. It that's a, to me at least that's a lot more interesting than coffee house ministry. Even though I like my coffee, uh beer house ministry, you know, now we're talking, but but uh mm-hmm. You know, here's the thing, and I, I think this is another facet of Lutheranism, and 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 this may this may go a little deeper too, is and this is my opinion, so take it or leave it. But I think that Lutheranism does not shape the culture so much as the culture shapes it. Ooh, um, you're gonna have to explain that to me a little bit. Well, you know, if you look at at like say look at Eastern Orthodoxy, it has gone a long way to shape. Um, it's very Middle Eastern in its approach, but it's gone a long way to shape so Russian culture or Greek culture, Mediterranean culture, that kind of thing. But Lutheranism is different. L- Lutheranism kind of makes itself at home wherever it is, and it doesn't really sort of it. it what it does is it takes up from the culture. It doesn't. It doesn't put things into the culture. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And this is why. I, and I, this is an opinion. Uh, with this, we can argue about this, but but uh, uh, this is why I think that Scandinavian Lutheranism looks different, feels different, sounds different than German Lutheranism, and that's why I think that Lutherans in America have a very difficult time establishing an identity. You ever notice that that like either people don't even know what a Lutheran is, never heard of one, or they just think we're just you know we're just like Baptists with sacraments or something. We're <laughs> we're just in that in that Protestant bucket over there, yeah. and uh, and and I think it's because uh, we tend to kind of make ourselves at home and then and then take up from the culture what is useful or at least not destructive to to our, our theology, and I think that's why you see what you're seeing in the Lutheran churches today well, in America. Well, you know, one area where we are very good at is uh, missionary work in terms of spreading Lutheranism overseas. Uh, I just happen to have a statistic here in front of me, but, you know, there are more Lutherans in Tanzania and in Ethiopia than in all of North America. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania has six, uh, more than 6 million members across 20 dioceses. The Evangelical Lutheran Church Makanaisus in, uh, in Ethiopia has over 5.2 million. Here in the U.S., if you combine both us and Elka, we only got a, a little over 6 million total. Yeah, I, I would be very interested, in, and I, I have to confess, I don't know the history of those churches. You know, you don't just pop out of nowhere. No, and, and and you don't get churches that size overnight. This doesn't happen. 
Um, and so I'd be very, very curious as to the long history of of those churches in Africa, those Lutheran churches in Africa. In other words, who who started them initially? Where where did where did not only not simply the gospel, but the Lutheran confession? Where did that come from initially? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think that would be fascinating because, see, in America, Lutherans came in kind of dribs and drabs. Uh, there were Lutherans among the colonists. Oh, yeah. You know, you have some of the earliest Lutheran churches up in, in, in New York, in upstate New York. Uh, and so uh, there, there were Lutherans already in the colonial period. Our Lutherans, the Saxons and those guys, came later. That was the 19th century uh, immigration movement, mid-19th century. Yeah, we got caught up in that uh, in the unification uh, measure with the Prussians. That was part of it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was not the- in not entirely all of, but I mean, it was complicated because it, it's it's kind of tied part and parcel to German unification. Yeah, and so when when the regions become when there's a an increased national identity for Germany, then you got to set aside your little religious differences, you know, and just kind of go with the <laughs> flow here. So, and people who thought otherwise uh, were shown the door, you know. Oh, you can go over across the <laughs> across yeah. the pond. Well, that was uh, to an extent. That was one of the outcomes of the Thirty Years' War. Uh, it's where the individual uh... regional religion, yes, yeah. yes, uh, which was a, a reprise of the fifteen twenty six Diet of Spire. It was the same idea. The religion of the prince was the religion de facto of the region, and so and so the peace of of Augsburg, uh, you know, kind of cemented that. Or was it Westphalia? I can't remember. Now I'm betraying my history. Yeah, Augs- yeah, that was the yeah the peace of Westphalia actually ended the uh, the conflict in in I think it was 1648. Okay, yeah, but but you know the idea of regional religion, which of course gives rise to the regional state religions too, or mm-hmm. state churches, and uh, even today in Germany, the state church is not cut of all one cloth it kind of depends what region you're in as to what kind of character it has more or less lutheran so it's it's tricky business but uh yeah in that's in in that's with that going on uh people who wanted to adhere to a more pure confession and practice of of reformation lutheranism were kind of <laughs> shown the door <laughs> as were the pietists you know the pietists uh-huh. and the puritans have a have a kinship uh, keeler talked about that once i remember in one of his his monologues where he talked about the dark lutherans in in norway and those were the pietists and they were dark because they were guilty and very somber and no fun kind of thing and uh, and, and luther so he, spoke against that i mean he, he was he was adamant uh, against well not pietism so much as uh you can get luther to speak for or against most anything you know just kind of pick your works appropriately <laughs> uh spainer was very very much of a collector of luther so but anyway they you know they would slip these little leaflets under the doors of these dark lutherans advertising cheap farmland in the midwest you in the u.s you know it's like <laughs> go there please uh and and so you know whereas the puritans left england because they didn't have a welcome home in the established state church of england uh, mm-hmm. the puritans left because uh, they just really 
didn't feel that they could practice their form of of Lutheranism, their pietistic form of Lutheranism, under the strictures of the church and culture they were living in. Well, you know, that's how my uh, mother's family emigrated uh, back in the 1840s. Uh, My mother's family was from Germany, and the original immigrant was actually a Lutheran pastor who was brought in to minister to the uh, German communities in what was then the old Northwest, you know, Indiana. Yeah. And so that's that's what he was doing because there there were there was an enormous division among early Lutherans in this country. We we really before the founding of the Missouri Synod, there really was no central authority to de- to determine what was a Lutheran among these 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 all these various German Lutherans who were up here. Well, yeah, and that's coming in dribs and drabs. Lutheran unity in America is a really <laughs> it's a fascinating story. I know Professor Rass, Dr. Rast at the uh, Fort Wayne Seminary is kind of a student of this. But Lutheran unity it, it's almost like an oxymoron. I was going okay? to say, you know, because <laughs> that's another stereotype. You, you, you know? Yeah, right. You, you you know the 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 maxim that we're two or three lutherans are gathered there will be a split you know we, we do have a, <laughs> yeah. a propensity for that and and i think that see again that's a stereotype that speaks to uh something deep down in our theological genetics that is we do take our doctrine seriously and we take uh the unity or at least the the coherence of doctrine and practice seriously what is theology without doctrine what is religion without doctrine without doctrine experience oh okay <laughs> it's enthusiasm it's experience well the, I, you know, I, I i was going to think you know without doctrine you're talking about a unitarian <laughs> Well, everybody's got a even a Unitarian's got a doctrine. It, it may be kind of like negative space. These are all the things that we don't believe. We don't know what we do believe, but we don't believe all of this. So oh, okay. you, you can you can run it that way if you want. Um, but I I I, I had an interesting conversation with a, a, an Orthodox priest one time, uh, a little bit younger than I am, and uh, he he was pretty well read. He knew he knew a thing or two about Lutherans from an outsider perspective, and. And he said, he said, your problem as Lutherans is that you were born in controversy. And so you need controversy to keep yourselves going. <laughs> now, there's some I, truth to that. I couldn't argue with him. I said, no, there's something to that. We do like a good fight. And, and, and as a result, I think most of us know, you know, the, that big church on the corner and then a mile down the road, there's the church that's split off from that church. You know, we, we know that. We, we do that. <laughs> Well, Bill, I got to uh, take a little break here, but we've got a lot more to talk about, and there's some very specific stereotypes I want to address. And we'll be right back after these messages. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Coming up on MOA Weekend, I'll have some thoughts about not giving up on your life and not giving in. 
because you have a God today in Jesus Christ who already gave up his life so you would not have to. So persevere with me through some Bible text, a little bit of humor, and practical applications to your life as well. That's Moments of Assurance Weekend this Saturday and Sunday morning at 7.45 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. On September 1 of this year, I started in my new position at LCEF, completely humbled by the call to serve. LCEF has faithfully served the church for the last 39 years, and the work of providing funds and services for the sharing of the gospel of Christ, well, that work will extend long into the future. Together, our investors and borrowers look forward to a bold future of serving you and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit us at lcef.org to learn more. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Katerina von Zell was a Protestant reformer and an early supporter of Martin Luther. She also played a controversial role as the wife of a former priest who'd become a Protestant clergyman. Katerina willingly opened their home to visiting students and other reformers, often at great danger in doing so. Among her first writings was a defense of her own marriage against opponents of clerical marriage. But despite controversy, Katharina von Zell became well-known in her Strasbourg church and beyond for her pastoral writings. One of her well-known works was a reflection on Psalm 51, Psalm 130, and the Lord's Prayer, written in 1558 as encouragement for an ill friend. She included dozens of quotations and references from the Bible. Engage with the Bible in the history of its influence and impact over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm host Kip Allen. With me is Pastor Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. We are talking about Lutheran stereotypes. Who? Us? Stereotypes? Would you believe that there are some people out there who don't believe Lutherans have a sense of humor? Who, who better to talk about Lutheran stereotypes than a couple of Lutherans? Absolutely. Okay? <laughs> you know, this, is, this is our tribe we're talking about here. Well, there's one here I, I had read about that I want to bring up specifically because I actually got some first-hand experience with this one. And this is, Lutherans believe that their pastors will visit them in the hospital even if they don't notify them that they're there. Now, what had happened here? Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a, a little bit of a medical event here at the Synod. And I was taken uh, by ambulance to a local hospital. And while I'm in the emergency room, who do I see walking along 
but Bill Whedon, Will Whedon, the director, the chaplain for the LCMS. <laughs> wow. He knew I was there, and he came up specifically to walking through the emergency room to find me. So yeah. Yeah, this is this is problematic. This one, uh, you, you know, and and as a pastor, it's really a problem because they, they there's a corollary to this is that that when Lutherans go to the hospital, they never they, they make it a point to keep it away from their pastors for as long as possible, mm. even to the point of denying church membership on the admission forms if they're still asking, you know, and 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 then they get upset when you didn't visit be, because. <laughs> And so either, either one or two things is in play here, okay? When when somebody like Whedon or or your pastor shows up and you didn't you you were intentionally trying to keep it secret. One of two things is in play here. Either the gift of omniscience has come with ordination. So in other words, he he just knew. Yeah, you know, and or God told him in a dream like <laughs> Joseph. Or two the gossip channel is hotter than blazes, okay? And, <laughs> and, and so really all you have to do, and, and that's really the truth. The truth is B. Uh, the way Lutheran pastors know what's going on is they, they listen in on the prayer circle. Ah. See, because that's, that's really where you find out all the secret information. So you've got to be in on the prayer circle. Ah, I hadn't thought of that, but of course that it's makes a, a lot of sense. Tipping one of my trade secrets, but I don't believe in trade secrets. I believe that if you're good at your trade, trade secrets do not matter. Okay, uh, so I'm telling you the trade. I'll tell you some of my trade secrets of preaching sermons sometimes, too. That'll really mess with everybody's mojo. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> no, they, they're they weird like that. Don't tell pastor I'm in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't visit me. Um. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you're supposed to know that. And as you right. pointed out during the break, I mean, there are certain things that are supposed to come with ordination. Yeah, office comes with ordination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, there, there's some people who seem to think that, like, like uh, infallible knowledge of politics, culture, psychology, and the sciences come come with ordination, and they don't. Trust me, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh darn! I mean, there's another illusion shattered for me. <laughs> yeah, well, you could you could you could save on four years of seminary education too if that were the case. But, uh... <laughs> well, let's see if we could come up with another. Uh, here's one: uh, if you hear something funny during a sermon, smile as loudly as you can. <laughs> You know, I always think it's. I, I have a great time with that because I use humor um, in sermons, and and I I use it thoughtfully. I I have thought about this a lot. Uh, early in my ministry, I had one of my my members who is maybe a little more critical of of my approach uh, comment obliquely, as only Lutherans can do. They they've mastered Midwest nice. Okay, they they know how to say many things without saying them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to understand Midwest nice, look at the Cone Brothers movie Fargo. It's an exercise in it. But 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 anyway, uh, but he says, out of the clear blue, I, I don't I don't like when when pastors use tell jokes in a sermon, and I knew where he was going. You know what he was not saying, what he was saying, and so I said, yeah, I don't either. And and I I knew this was kind of like begging the question, but you tell jokes, but I don't. I say funny things, but I don't tell jokes. In fact, I'm not good at telling jokes. But so I don't tell jokes, but I do say things that are funny and that people are prone to laugh. Now, my congregation, after 25 years, is used to this, and they're responsive. They do laugh. Sometimes they laugh out loud. 
it's really fun to do like a pulpit exchange for Lent. We're using the same material. They take the same stuff to another church. Dead silence. <laughs> tough audience. I mean, oh, man. It's like, wow, that's a tough room here. Um, but, yeah, and I grew up with that. You didn't clap. You didn't You didn't laugh. You didn't say amen. You didn't. <laughs> you oh. really didn't say that. Otherwise, Boy, do be... I know that. When I joined my, my church out in California when I was living there, yeah. I mean, these people, their arm lifting, and they were s- the big projection with, with songs. And, oh, this was not the Lutheran church that I grew up in. Ah, see, proving my point that we don't influence the culture. The col- we, we, we take up from the culture stuff. So they did from somewhere, from the revival culture. They took up up- uplifted hands and amen and dancing. Hopefully they didn't take up snake handling and convulsing in the aisles. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, right. You just well, <laughs> never know what 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 we're gonna do. Well, there's another uh, another Lutheran thing here uh, where it says Lutherans think that the Bible forbids them from crossing the aisle while passing the peace. Oh, I think some think that it forbids them from passing the peace. Ah, you know, a lot of a lot of Lutherans, even younger ones that I know, just like really hate that that ritual of the greeting of peace. You know, I, I have to admit, I'm not wild about it. There you go. See, you're one of them. I am. I am. I, I you know, I, I have, I can take it or leave it. Um, these days, I take it. We do it at the very beginning of the service before we get started, so it doesn't, like, interfere with the flow of the service, which isn't a bad place to go. Uh, some of my people don't like it in cold and flu season because they, they're convinced. <laughs> yeah. They're that would convinced. be bad. <laughs> and in fact, that there's probably better science for them getting the flu from shaking hands than than from the common cup. Yeah. Okay, but you know, they, yeah. I, I don't ask them to be consistent. It's not going to happen. But yeah. but yeah, so they're a little nervous about that. Or I, I noticed I was in a I was in um I was in the cathedral in Los Angeles, and I think for cold and flu season, they've uh, given up shaking hands, and they just kind of like they do kind of a you know you know how when you say hi and you put your hand up yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. They they all go. They look at each other in the eye. They smile. They say peace, and they kind of go high, but they don't touch. Uh-huh. So it's good. Kind of Lutheran. It I is. I think I think the real reason Lutherans don't like passing the peace is we don't like to be in close physical proximity to one another. That's a German thing, and I'm an American thing. I think I, I know foreigners have always commented that Americans have a tend to have a much broader personal space than Europeans or Asians do. Yeah, well, first of all, we have a broader personal space, and then we need the extra space beyond our personal space, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I've noticed that, you know, a pew that can sit eight, we'll that, sit could four. Sit, that, that could sit eight, say, Pentecostal Baptist, can sit four Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Lutherans sometimes have an almost inbred response to certain things. Now, here's one. When you watch Star Wars and they say, may the force be with you, you automatically respond, and with you also. Oh, yeah. Old, also, old, with you. Old, also with old, you. Old cheesy joke. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I went to a play once, and I forgot what it, I forgot the name of the play. It, was, it has the word gods in it. That's all I can remember. But it was about the, the uh, Norwegian, the pietist Norwegian migration to the Dakotas in Minnesota. And this young pastor who was ministering to these immigrants in these isolated lands. And one thing that I remember was they, they, the, the stage production did a very effective 
uh, rendering of a deadly snowstorm you know, where people died uh, and were buried in the snow. But they just used a white sheet to, uh, to signify the, the drifting snow. It was very effective. Hmm. But there's a scene in the, in the play where the young pastor is in the house, the cabin of this family, and he celebrates the Lord's Supper. And he uses the Lutheran liturgy, and and so he begins the liturgy. The Lord says, "The Lord be with you." And and I swear, twenty five people in the theater said, "And with your spirit." And and I mean, it was just reflex right there. He's, oh, fellow Lutherans, here we are. You know, but you know, I mean it. Seriously, I, I experienced that for myself. And so uh, yeah, yeah, we we are Lutherans are uncomfortably liturgical. We, we we are liturgical and we, we somehow I think in our in our heart of hearts wish we weren't. So even when we do a revival type worship, you know, we're with the hands are in the air, blah blah blah, you know, it, it's like we still try to be liturgical about it. And 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 so in a sense when, when we do revival worship, it's kinda of like a really bad white reggae band. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of the lines in the uh, Learning the Lutherans routine is uh, one of the funniest things in the world is a room full of Lutherans pretending to dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. I, 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 I'm looking at Keeler's listing here. Lutherans believe in miracles and even expect miracles. Footnote, by the way, if you can expect a miracle, it isn't. But let's go on. Mm-hmm. Even expect miracles, especially during their stewardship visitation programs or when passing the plate. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think most congregational treasurers fully expect uh, the, 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 uh, the monetary analog of the multiplication of loaves and fishes somewhere during the offertory. <laughs> it will multiply. Oh, there's Will Whedon out there. I just see him. <laughs> yeah, the, he, heard, he heard we're talking about him. So that's he, was it. There. he knew. <laughs> he knew. He knew he because, knew. because the prayers circle mentioned it to him <laughs> well here's another one uh, uh, that i think is is very true about us and this is part of the midwestern nice lutherans feel guilty about not staying to clean up after their own wedding reception in the fellowship hall <laughs> but they don't <laughs> see that that's the that's yeah that's right that's 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 midwest nice they feel oh oh and i assume they mean bride and groom here well i would assume Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. They feel guilty for not staying to clean up after yeah, the wedding reception. Yeah, that's yeah, what the, I meant. The, I, I thought, like, the family and everybody else or even, you know, these days they just walk out of, walk out of the place and it's trashed. And it's like, mm, okay, that's why we charge you for this. <laughs> well, that's because you're out in California. Here in the Midwest, we do it differently. Lutherans usually follow the official liturgy and will feel it is their way of suffering for their sin. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to a, I was I was doing a youth retreat up in Canada, uh-huh. and and you know Canadians Canadians I I, I think I've I've figured out Canadian nice because Canadians are very nice like like pathologically nice and 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 I think that's Midwest nice on steroids yeah. is what that is it's, but but I, so I'm there with a bunch of kids and I noticed that none of the kids are singing they're not singing the liturgy they're not singing the hymns and so. Uh, toward the end of my third session, I I did a little talk, a little little bit about community, about being community, about uh, and about singing all together as a community, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, I said, you know, we need you, we we old people, we need you, 
and you need us, and we need to be singing together. And if we're going to sing together, you know, your music is different than my music, and my di- my music's different than the next guy's music. But if we're going to sing all together, we, we have to have songs we have in common. And I said, I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. I said, I don't like these songs that we sing in church. I don't listen to them at home. But it's church. And so... We'll just all kind of get together and sing songs we don't like. How's that? You know, and they're all laughing. They're saying, "Oh, that sounds like fun." <laughs> I can't believe he said that. Um, but <laughs> well, like Luther. How about those? How about those? Those? Those eighteen stanza Reformation rousers. You know. Oh. Where, and that brings right. up here, Lutherans like to sing, except when confronted with a new hymn or a hymn with more than four stanzas. <laughs> no. No, we sing all the stanzas, <laughs> even if there are 18 of them. Oh, I just die when that happens. I just die. My voice doesn't hold out that long. Do you know the history? Do you know why you have those big, long Lutheran hymns like that? No. But, but, because they're, they're a form. They're a form. Um, you know, like Salvation Unto Us Has Come, some of the other Luther hymns. They're endless. They go on forever. Um, from heaven above to earth I come. I mean, it, it's like it's it's just it's a ballad, and that's what it is. It's a ballad. Uh, it's kind of like Lutheran genius. Uh, is he took the ballad form and he turned it into a catechism form? You know, is 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 basically gives you the whole doctrine, the whole counsel of God as a ballad. It's like an Irish, it's like an Irish ballad out of some war they lost, or the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. But I think it's kind of genius. But, boy, does it go on forever. Yeah, That's you know, that's as close to Lutheran purgatory as you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. 18 stanzas. Oh, man. Not even broken up. I mean, just all the way through. Standing. Standing. Now, hey, do you sit or stand at your church? There's a Lutheran custom. Ah, well, well, we usually stand. At, well, it actually depends on what part of the service. No, I mean for for him singing. That's what I mean. Oh. It depends on what part of the service. We normally sit and and I was told and and the ethnic types can correct me on this, but but that the Scandinavians stand for singing, the Germans sit. Uh, I don't know. I didn't it's, know. Standing's better for singing. You sing better when you stand. Oh yeah, yeah. When you sit down, you compress your diaphragm. No, I, I, I know a lot of broadcasters, for example, who do their gig completely standing up. I happen to be one of the lazy ones. I sit. Yeah, but no, standing is much better for breath control, posture, the whole deal. Mm. Uh, you know, people are getting into the standing desk too. Well, here's another one that I've I've read. I'm not sure I fully agree with this one, but I've I've heard it. Lutherans believe in prayer, but would practically die if asked to pray out loud. <laughs> it's kind of, there's the pietism coming out again. Mm. See, you know, because to pray out loud is showy. One, one, of the, one, of the, one of the mortal sins in Lutheranism is to be showy. Yeah, very much so. See, and, yeah. and so. You don't go and, up and say, hey, well, I'm twice as humble as you. you know, like, right. Yeah, it's like that country song. It's hard to be humble when you're yeah, perfect in every, every way. way yeah. So, yeah, so being showy. Now, you can make a show out of not being showy, which then gets kind of like, you know, it goes off in the wrong direction. But I think that's part of it. Um, Lutherans tend to be very, very private and personal about their faith life. I, I know that was true in the house I grew up in. Mm. and And I think... One of the problems we have, I think, as Lutherans is that we're reticent to do what I think is the number one activity of the priesthood believers, and that's pray. Mm. Because priests intercede. That's what they do. 
and and if I if I could wave some magic wand or or sling a bowl of magic incense or whatever it is you do, I would I would really wish that that more Lutherans would be comfortable with praying, kind of on the spot. You're talking to somebody and they're troubled about something, and they say, "I'd like to pray for you about that." Oh. Not I will pray for you, or I'll keep you in my prayers, but I would like to pray for you and then do it. A lot of that is done in disaster relief situations, I know. I've yes, seen, yeah. and I think because we have so many disasters, we're getting better at yeah. this. It really is, and that brings up to mind another thing um, where I've, I've run into people who are not religious, who are really resentful of uh, churches, especially of uh, tax status, saying, well, what do you do? What do you do to, to merit that? Well, Lutherans are extremely active in charity work and in uh, things like disaster relief. For example, the uh, Lutheran Services of America is listed in Forbes magazine as the seventh largest of the top 100 charitable organizations. We're right behind the American Cancer Society and above the American Heart Association. Yeah, yeah. We have three hundred organ, three hundred service providers. Uh, there's um, Lutherans helped around the world more than eight million people, and of course that doesn't even take into account the things that the Senate does with, uh, like I mentioned, disaster relief. We uh, have malaria initiatives overseas. We send medical missionaries to areas where they've never actually had any kind of medicine. We build water wells in communities that have never had clean water. You name it, we do it. And the thing is, is that we don't toot our own horn over that. And I understand, you know, we're not supposed to. The Bible talks about, you know, don't brag about doing good. But I think there's a real perception in a huge sense of, uh, portion of the public that we don't do anything. Yeah, and it's also, um, it's a vacuous argument to say we don't pay taxes. We pay taxes. Oh, yeah. We, it's just, we, we, we pay we pay property taxes. We pay sales taxes. Um, you know, when we pull the fire alarm and the fire department comes to put out our fire, we we, we have paid our property taxes oh, yeah. for that. Well, um, well for clergy gets some tax bennies, but good luck getting rid of those because that's tied into military chaplaincy mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things. So, Well, for example, uh, in the, the latest round of disasters we had storm-related, uh, the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, they've changed the rule now, thanks to the new administration. It used to be that uh, religious nonprofits were not eligible for reconstruction grants. Oh. Uh, but what happened was is that FEMA itself said that something like 80% of all relief supplies at one point or another went through religious organizations, even if they were federally mandated. What we would do is we would open up our facilities for everything from warehousing to housing. Uh, we, had the, uh, we had the infrastructure in place. We could get the materials distributed. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is a temporal kingdom thing, but it's a, it's something to recognize is that uh, ch- church communities are ready-made networks. Oh, absolutely. They, they, they exist, and in many places, they have deep reach into the surrounding community as is. Uh, what else is there, if you stop and think about it, what else is there operating in the community that has a network like that? I can't think of anything else besides besides the churches. Well, we're still working, for example, in the New Orleans area from uh, Hurricane Katrina. Right. 
helping to rebuild homes, rebuild lives there. Uh, I was talking to a uh, an acquaintance of mine down in Houston, and they had one of the one of their parishioners was an elderly woman who had been was unable to evacuate. And she managed to, fortunately, the, uh, uh, she, her, through her cell phone, she was able to contact her pastor and say, the water's rising, what do I do? And the uh, pastor put out the word on the, uh, on, through, the, through the Internet, and there's something like 15 people responded. Oh, yeah. To come and help that woman get to safety. There, yeah, was, one, and- there was even one case of a person who brought in a boat. It, it it is these are these are ready made networks of people and and because a congregation is by definition a network. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, these these are people who have contact with each other and can contact each other on very short notice. Uh, now you know some of that is dwindling too because um, congregations, my own included, are less and less community based. They tend to be. Uh, gatherings of people who come to a particular place for whatever reasons, you know, the preaching, the the worship style or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the deep reach into the community, but you still do. You still have a community presence. And, and uh, uh, if you took that away, then I'm not sure what would take its place necessarily. You'd have to construct something. I guess the schools would be next. The public schools would be the only other one that has any kind of a networking capability in the community. but uh, Even that, I would wonder. Hey, as long as we're talking Lutheran stereotypes, and if we have a little bit of time, I think we have a couple of minutes yet. Yeah, we is, do. Is uh, we must engage the the potluck, the hot dish, the casserole, <laughs> the jello salad, and all of that stuff. You know. make sure this that is the, this on. is the fodder of so much, so much dark humor. <laughs> Well, that the Jello has to follow the liturgical season, yeah, or as Keeler says, but peas in a tuna casserole add too much, <laughs> too much color. color. <laughs> and we recognize uh, Jello as being a salad. Yeah, you know, you know, and we've probably mentioned this, but you, you know, I'm a foodie. I, I oh, I'm yeah. a connoisseur of fine food and drink, and and a, a, a very respectable cook in my own right, but. Um, I, I find the um, potluck fair to be interesting, uh, you know, anthropologically interesting. Uh, it, it's in part it's it's poverty food um, that is it's it's not expensive, so you can feed a lot of people mm-hmm. cheaply. Uh, it's also convenient in that it doesn't take a lot of time and preparation to put it together, and it virtually will keep forever at room temperature, which I think is really the key because it's going to be sitting on a on a folding metal table for an inordinate amount of time that if the health inspector came they'd shut the whole thing down in a heartbeat you know so well you know the loony lutherans uh, address hot dishes in a number of their routines you know yeah gotta make a hot dish baby tonight <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh nice that's that that works um, I- I have in my my vast library. I think I have a bigger cookbook and food library than I do a theological library. But I have several, um, you know, homegrown cookbooks that were produced by congregations, mostly for humor value. But but occasionally there's a there's a shining recipe. But but here's an interesting challenge, and that is to take one of those ubiquitous hot dishes and actually make it good. 
Um, America's Test Kitchen did that with the notorious uh, green bean casserole. You know, <laughs> you, you know the thing, gr- the green beans. The, I actually um, like those. Slivered almonds, the uh, cream of mushroom soup, you know, and there's a few other things in there. But what they did was they deconstructed it, and then they reconstructed it using quality fresh ingredients and, and properly seasoning and preparing each thing. And apparently it is very, very good. You know, it's the right idea. It's just the execution that leaves a bit uh, to be desired. Okay. We have a we have an interesting riff on that at our congregation because we're multicultural in a very deep sense. And so you, you, you would love the look of your kind of old lifer Lutheran's face when they walk into a potluck and encounter like a bowl of Korean kimchi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just what I wanted, a Lutheran kimchi. Yeah, right. I mean, they get cabbage, but only in the form of sauerkraut, you know, but when, but, but, you know, it, we have, we have the diversity on our, on our table takes potluck to an entirely new level of. It's it's great. I, I love it. I love it. Okay, Bill. Well, thanks very much. As you can tell by the music coming up, we are out of time. And I want to thank the Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Laud, and Honor as the theme song for Let's Talk the Pastor Is In. Pastor Bowie's music may be found on Amazon.com. I'm host Kip Allen wishing you God's blessings. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.